Hello everyone, uh, my name is Luan, uh, I'm a first year engineering student and I'll be do doing the Bible reading today. Our passage is Genesis 20. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Nadir and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And didn't she also say, He is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. This is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he had told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abram in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such a great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abram, What was your reason for doing this? Abram replied, I said to myself, There is sure, surely no fear in God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And, then, and when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham and he returned Sarah his wife to him and Abimelech said my land is before you live wherever you like to Sarah he said I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver this is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you you are completely vindicated then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech his wife and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abram's wife, Sarah. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Uh, that's Greta Thunberg speaking at the uh, UN Climate Action Summit last year. Now, I don't know what you think of Greta or uh, of climate change for that matter. I imagine that in this room there's probably a range of opinions. Uh, but I want you to listen to not just her outrage, but where it comes from here. And I think it comes from her anxiety, her fear for the future. You have stolen my dreams. The world is facing an existential crisis. 
The future of not just Greta, but all people is on the line. And it's not just Greta who feels like this. Uh, According to the Centre for Disease Control, over a quarter of American adults uh, aged between 18 and 24 considered suicide in May and June of this year. A quarter of Americans between 18 and 24. As you look around the world and you see what's going on in it, uh, you see the COVID-19, global warming, uh, police brutality and the rise of the far right, uh, cancel culture and anti-far and the rise of the far left. Do you worry about the future? Do you worry that everything might just fall apart? Do you worry about it when you look at the church and you see the sin that exists there? When you look at the uh, Royal Commission into Institutional Child Abuse and you see the sin that's been exposed by that? When you read the revelation last week that Jerry Falwell Jr., widely regarded as a leader of the religious right in the US, had repeatedly arranged for his wife to sleep with another man while he watched, do you worry about what is happening? Maybe when you look at yourself and you see your own sin, the realisation that so much of what you condemn in others, you're actually guilty of yourself. Does it make you worry about your future? That sin, Satan, they might get you in the end. Well, I think the chapters we're looking at today in Genesis actually speak to a lot of those fears and anxieties. We are looking at the book of Genesis this semester, uh, and in the beginning we see that God made the world good, and he made humans in his image to fill the world and to rule it, to subdue it, not to destroy it, but to cultivate it. But instead of doing that, Adam and Eve listen to the serpent, Satan, and rebel against God, insisting that they will be the ones who decide good and evil for themselves, and things have gone wrong ever since. God punishes the man and the woman back in Genesis chapter 3. He curses the land, making it hard for the man to work. And for the woman, he tells her that she'll experience pain in childbirth. Um, And God expels Adam and Eve from the garden, out of his presence, away from the tree of life. And he also curses the serpent. This is going to all come up one line at a time, is it? (laughs) Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We saw at the beginning of this series in chapter 12 of Genesis, God putting in place his plan to overcome sin and to crush the serpent. Uh, He appears to Abraham, an idol-worshipping Babylonian, and he promises him land, offspring, and blessing. Blessing to him and through him to all nations. Uh, And if you've just had Genesis 3 in mind, you see the connections, don't you? The land, the offspring, and the reverse of the curse, the blessing. 
And the blessing we discover as we go on through Genesis, we came across in chapter 15, is the blessing of being right with God simply by trusting him. Justification by faith. And we learn that somehow the offspring of Abraham, his seed, is going to bring all this about. But you kind of wonder, can it all really happen? What if our sin gets in the way? What if Satan just turns out to be too strong? And in the chapters we're looking at today, God's plan comes under threat. God has promised Abraham, who's 100 years old at this point, a son by his wife, Sarah. Uh, In fact, in chapters 17 and 18, he's promised them uh, a son uh, within the next year. That Sarah, who's been infertile her whole life and is now 90 years old, uh, will give birth within a year. And they both laugh when they hear that. But God says, no, no, nothing's too difficult for me. Yet in chapter 20, it looks like it very well might be too difficult after all. That God's plan might be thwarted by a combination of Abraham's sin and Satan's power. So first up, the sinner. Have a look at Genesis chapter 20, verse 1 with me. It's there in your handouts. Uh, This is just after Abraham has seen the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Abraham moved on from there, that is uh, where he was uh, at Mamre, which is there in the middle. Um, He's moved on from there, maybe because of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while, he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Now, if you've been with us through this series uh, on Genesis and the life of Abraham, this kind of feels like deja vu all over again, doesn't it? We've actually seen this thing happen before. We saw it back in chapter 12. There was a famine in the land, and so Abram went down to Egypt. He was afraid that the Egyptians might kill him for his wife, so he said to Sarah, say that you're my sister, so I won't be killed. And Sarah ends up in Pharaoh's harem. It's not a great look. Uh, It's not a great move by Abram. Worse still, at this point in chapter 20, it bears an uncomfortable resemblance to what's just happened with Lot and his daughters in Sodom back in chapter 19, where he has offered to hand them over to be raped by the men of Sodom. And that's more or less what happens here with Abram and Sarah. Abraham seems to have gone the full Falwell. Never go the full Falwell. Why does it happen? Well, Abraham tells us in verse 11, Abraham replied, I said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he's my brother. In other words, Abraham does it because he's fearful about his future. He's anxious about what might happen to him, afraid that the evil of this world might overwhelm him. And so he'd rather lose his wife than his life. And this is not just a sort of momentary lapse of judgment, it turns out. 
This is actually Abraham's settled policy. Everywhere he goes, this is what he says. Which makes you feel pretty sorry for Sarah, doesn't it? So is Abraham wrong to fear Abimelech? Abraham may well be right that there's no fear of God in that place. After all, normally in that sort of culture, a marriage is going to involve a lot of negotiations. There's going to be a lot of toing and froing. There's a lot of work on how big the dowry is going to be and all that kind of stuff. But verse 2 just says, Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Now, remember, Sarah's about 90 years old at this point. So it's not at all clear that Abimelech is taking her because she's super hot. It may be that he's taking her as some kind of a hostage. He's probably seeking to establish some kind of alliance with Abraham, who is actually quite a significant player in the area at this point. He's a sheik who probably has thousands of people in his household now, and he's got hundreds of fighting men. So maybe Abimelech thinks, this is a good guy to force to be on my side, a good guy to have under my control. And he can do that by taking Sarah. It's not hard to see a certain kind of serpent-like nature to this, a certain shrewdness behind Abimelech's actions. Shrewd but wicked moving in on the man's wife, just as the serpent did in the garden. But remember that it is not just the woman who's threatened at this point. It's the seed too. The Lord has promised that within a year, Sarah is going to have Abraham's child. And so we're looking at maybe a few months, maybe only a few weeks at this point, before Sarah has to conceive or God's promise falls apart. And here she is, stuck in another bloke's harem, again. No woman, no seed. No seed, no future. Instead of being crushed by the seed, sin and Satan seem about to crush it, and with it, all God's promises. And then the Lord steps up. Chapter 20, verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you're as good as dead because of the woman you've taken. She's a married woman. Uh, I love that, actually, from God. He just sort of steps up and he says, you're a dead man. Kind of feels like you've got to say it in an Irish accent, doesn't it? You're a dead man. And Abimelech, who Abraham concluded has no fear of the Lord, absolutely freaks out. Verse 4, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she's my sister? And didn't she also say, he's my brother? I've done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. And God says, yeah, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I've kept you from sinning against me. That's why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he's a prophet. And he will pray for you and you'll live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Now, God says that uh, he hasn't let Abimelech touch her, and we find out a few verses later that he's rendered Abimelech impotent. Uh, So he hasn't been able to consummate the marriage with Sarah. So Abimelech calls in Abraham, and he says, why did you do this to me? 
You've done things that should never be done. And he's right. Abraham is in the wrong. And yet despite Abraham the sinner and Abimelech the serpent threatening Isaac the seed, God's plan prevails. Abraham gets his wife back. They get to stay in the land of the Philistines. Sarah is declared righteous by Abimelech. And God blesses Abimelech by lifting the curse of impotence and infertility on him and his household. Land, offspring, blessing to Abraham, blessing to all the nations. And just as the Lord lifts the infertility of Abimelech's household, so he lifts the infertility of Abraham's household. Here it is in chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a 100 years old when his son Isaac, which means laughter, was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne him a son in his old age. God's ridiculous, impossible promise has come true. Sarah has borne Abraham a son in his old age. Out of Sarah's dead womb, a seed bursts into life. Laughter breaks out. And it's not the laughter of unbelief this time. It's the laughter of joy that God has done it. God has done the impossible and his plans for the salvation of the world, the crushing of sin and Satan, are underway. And then almost immediately, or actually about three years later, uh, in terms of actual time frames, it all seems to repeat because there's another threat to the seed, this time from within Abraham's own family. When it comes time for Isaac to be weaned, which is probably when he's about three years old, Ishmael, Abraham's son by Sarah's maidservant Hagar, laughs at him. But this laughter is not joyful. This is mocking laughter. What we're seeing here is not just a 17-year-old being crummy to a three-year-old, which is pretty lame. We're actually seeing the possibility of another Cain and Abel situation. An angry son hating his innocent brother. Sarah sees the danger and she insists that Abraham get rid of Hagar and Ishmael, uh, which is fairly brutal, but she seems to be right that Ishmael does pose a threat to Isaac. After all, God agrees with her in sending Ishmael away, although he promises that uh, he'll make Ishmael a great nation too. They're sent out into the desert with some food and some water. And at the last minute, when Ishmael's about to die from exposure, God steps in again and he saves them both, reiterating his promise to make Ishmael a great nation. And so the disaster of Cain and Abel is averted. Both brothers live to become great nations. But Ishmael kind of bows out of the story at this point. We only see him again at Abraham's funeral in chapter 25. 
the focus now switches fully to Isaac, the promised seed. In the rest of chapter 21, we meet Abimelech again. Uh, Back in chapter 20, Abraham had been afraid of Abimelech's godlessness. But in his fear and anxiety over what might happen to him, it was actually Abraham who was the godless one. Ended up doing things to Abimelech that ought not to be done. But now, in God's time, Abimelech comes to Abraham and he fears God. He recognises that God is with Abraham and so he asks Abraham to bless him by promising not to deal falsely with him or his children or his descendants, which seems a wise promise to extract from Abraham given how he's dealt with Abimelech in the past. Abraham does promise to deal rightly with him and they actually live rightly alongside each other. Both Abraham and the land of the Philistines are blessed. That's a good reminder uh, of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Whoops. I haven't put it up there. There we go. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our fight is actually with Satan. Our job with those he's co-opted, like Abimelech, is to introduce them to God and to bring the blessing of his promises to them. And so we see in these chapters that God's plan to rescue sinners from sin and Satan is underway. The seed, Isaac, has been born. But of course, as you read the rest of the Bible, you discover that Isaac doesn't bring about all the promises of God, nor do his children. Isaac is the seed promised to Abraham, but it turns out that he's just a shadow of the reality, a signpost that points to the true seed, Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, who's born not just to a woman who's 90 years old and has never had a child. I mean, that's pretty amazing. But Jesus is born of a virgin. And just as Abraham sent Sarah away to Abimelech, So Joseph intended to send Mary away when he discovered that she was pregnant. And again, God intervenes. He appears to Joseph in a dream, just like he did with Abimelech. Not to tell Joseph that he's a dead man, but to tell him that what was conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is the true seed. This is the true Isaac. The seed that Isaac hinted at. The seed that will crush the serpent's head, rescuing God's people from their sin. But the serpent isn't dead yet. Throughout Jesus' life, we see these serpent-like rulers Uh, arise and attempt to destroy him, just like we saw with Abimelech. We see King Herod try to kill Jesus as a baby. We see the Jewish rulers trying to kill him throughout his life until finally he is nailed to a cross, as helpless as a three-year-old. And they laugh at him, mocking him, 
mocking God's seed, just like Ishmael mocked Isaac. This is not simply secular power politics. Uh, Revelation 12 actually shows us the spiritual reality behind it all. Revelation 12, verse 1 says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. What we see here is the spiritual reality of things that's foreshadowed in Eve, foreshadowed in Sarah, but fulfilled in Jesus. The seed is under threat from the dragon. And the dragon is not some Chinese dragon out on the oak lawn. No, this is the great serpent, Satan. It looks like the seed is a goner, because what is more helpless than a baby before a dragon? Well, maybe a man nailed to a cross. Jesus, the promised seed, was killed. And yet, at what looked like the very moment of the dragon's triumph, we see him defeated once and for all. In Revelation, the child is snatched up to heaven. Jesus is raised from the dead. And at the same time, the very same moment, the dragon is hurled down and our future is secured. Uh, At the UN Climate Action Summit, Greta Thunberg uh, warned the rulers of the earth that the eyes of all future generations are upon you and if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. But we do fail, don't we? (laughs) Time after time, again and again, in all sorts of ways. If our future depends on us, we really are stuffed. Our own sin, the power of Satan, how could we possibly overcome them? Well, on our own, we can't. But the good news that's foreshadowed in Genesis 20 and 21 is that God has brought his plans to fruition. He has sent his promised seed, Jesus Christ, who by his death broke the power of sin and Satan once and for all. See, Greta might never forgive you if you fail, but God does through Jesus. And in doing that, he strips Satan of his power. Satan, the great accuser, is incapable of accusing because our sin, our guilt, our failure has been paid for by Jesus. And the serpent is left without a leg to stand on. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. 
See, when you think about the future, when you fear what might happen, when you feel the anxiety creeping in, when the evil of this world just seems overwhelming, what will keep you from falling apart? Or doing what Abraham did in chapter 20 and just sort of caving into sin out of a sort of warped sense of self-preservation? Well, it's this, isn't it? The realisation that God's plans cannot be stopped. In fact, that our sin, the power of Satan, have already been conquered by Jesus, the lamb who was slain in our place. Yes, the devil will rage, but his rage is as impotent as Abimelech because God's promised seed, the Lord Jesus, has crushed his head by saving all who trust in him from their sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, your promised seed, your son, who has crushed the power of sin and Satan forever. Father, in the midst of the turmoil of our world and even the turmoil of our own thoughts, we pray that you would fix our eyes on him, that we might have confidence and joy, trusting in you and rejoicing in the great future that you have secured for us in him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have finished early, so uh, why don't I give you a moment? You can turn to the person next to you and just see if either of you have got any questions. probably long enough. Uh, Anyone got a question? Abimelech, it's not so much that he's sort of snatching Sarah, like uh, literally kidnapping her. Uh, I think it's more like he's just kind of, he's breaking all the social rules by just taking her instead of doing all the proper negotiations and all that kind of stuff. So I think what's happening is that Abraham, um, out of his cowardice, um, is uh, has this policy of saying that Sarah is his sister. Abimelech takes him at his word, but there's a sort of rapaciousness to the way Abimelech behaves as well. Uh, does that is that sort of answering your question?
Yes. Yeah. How do we know in life um, which things are part of God's promise? Uh, can you flesh that out a bit more for yeah, me, Tom? So I guess if, if things are happening to us, um, mm-hmm. which bits do we know are kind of tied to an earlier promise God has made? Or can we know that? Oh, well, I don't think you need to work it out, actually. <laughs> um, so the, the good thing is that uh, you can have confidence that whatever is happening, um, God is going to bring you safely through it because he's already won in Jesus. Um, you can't lose uh, as long as you keep trusting in him. So uh, whatever doesn't kill you can only make you stronger. <laughs> or if it does kill you, you'll be raised up on the last day. So <laughs> you're, either way, you're safe. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which nation do Ishmael's descendants uh, yeah, Ishmael's descendants, um, I think they've sort of become... Um, someone help me out here. My brain's... Ishmael. Ishmael. Yeah, they're sort of... A, that's right. They're, uh, they're Arabian, I think. So they've sort of become the Arabs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the great nation. Anyone else? No? If you do have any more questions, uh, come and grab me afterwards. I'd love to chat with you. Let me hand back over to Hannah. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Ben.